Welcome to Paradise. My name's Kurt Robinson. I'll be your host. Going to show you around this magical realm, experience the enlightenment. Join me on a fantastic voyage. So today, uh, well, a couple of months ago, uh, I had an interesting conversation with two of my good buddies, uh, Mr. J and my friend Link McElvany. So we're discussing some topics related to having a code, having integrity, principles, ideals, uh, rules that you live by, gu guiding, <laughs> guiding ideas uh, that you try to live up to. So we, t we talk about a lot of things. Let me just ch check my list here because there's so much stuff. Uh, we talk about open-mindedness, the non-aggression principle, freedom, uh, the, the, specifically the difference between rebellion and, and true freedom. Uh, the differences between the, the, the East and the West way of viewing things, especially when it comes to teaching and learning from the masters. Um, and we talk about ways to change yourself and align yourself with, with your own principles. And masculine and feminine polarity, the difference between pers persuading people in a masculine um, or logical way and, and a feminine or emotional way. Um, and well, a whole lot more. So, <laughs> uh, remember to jump on to steemit.com, S T E E M I T.com, and uh, you can check out us out there at paradise paradox. Um, so jump, jump on there, it helps us out a lot if you follow and, and press upvote. Uh, much appreciated, and uh, we also very much appreciate all those donations that are coming in. You can head on over to donate.theparadiseparadox.com and you can give us a little tip, a token of appreciation, uh, of a little support, a little mental message to send to us. Yes, what the Paradise Paradox does is important, interesting, entertaining. Hopefully it's one of those three. Uh, so suggested donation, suggested tip, one dollar, one US dollar per episode that you like. But uh, give give as much as you want or as little as you want. We appreciate it all because uh, even if you send the smallest Satoshi, it still represents to us that, that what we're doing is important and you, you're taking a minute out of your day to do that. So uh, lots of love. Let's get into it. guys probably know uh, I'm uh, living in a temple and uh, ordained as a kind of uh, Buddhist monk in this radical order of um, of uh, renunciants I guess they call us it sounds a bit weird uh, and yeah so uh, I've been thinking a lot about uh, my way of life and uh, uh, so much of uh, having a path in the traditional senses uh, creating a conscious framework for the way that you live uh, creating a schedule and a structure that allows you to develop in the ways that uh, you want to develop uh, so I was I was thinking about this and I was contrasting it I guess with uh, the standard way of life of, of uh, the culture in which I was uh, raised and so I thought it might be interesting to talk to uh, the two of you, Mr. Kurt and Mr. Link, uh, because you both have such, uh, I guess, developed uh, ways of life from my perspective. And yeah, so I was just curious as to uh, how you both see your own lives through this lens of uh, codes and frameworks and, and uh, ways of life uh, in general. Uh, I sent Kurt this uh, little list of things we might talk about in a little quote, uh, which is not from a particular film, but it's a line from lots of films, and uh, the quote is, a man's got to have a coat. And uh, yeah, so uh, when I was growing up, I, I loved the idea of chivalry and the coat of a knight, and 
uh, I, I studied uh, Western chivalry and uh, the code of the samurai and uh, various other codes of uh, soldiers throughout history. And uh, then in my uh, pseudo-medical studies, oriental medical studies, uh, looking at the codes of uh, various physicians through the ages. And uh, then in, in my spiritual studies, uh, looking at various uh, different uh, codes and frameworks of, of monks throughout history and uh, in my art, uh, looking at, yeah, different, uh, I don't know what you call them, theoretical frameworks for uh, the creation of art. Uh, but art is an interesting one because, uh, I mean, I love uh, reading the writings of artists, but uh, you can, can you really trust a writer who writes about the way that they write? Uh, how much of these codes are uh, descriptive rather than prescriptive. Uh, you know, you can go into any bookstore and buy a book on, say, screenwriting, for instance, and it will give you a framework with which to write a film. But if you write a film with that framework, it will be a shit film. Um, you know, like, th there's a difference between creating something that's, that functions and just uh, referring to a set of guidelines or a code uh, in which to create something. Uh, yeah, so it, it seems like, okay, cool, you can have a set of rules, you can have a code, you can have a way of life and just implement that in your life and that should make your life better. Uh, but if you look at uh, something where you have a clear result which has a quality that you can uh, assess, uh, it becomes quite a nebulous thing. What is it to run a code? Is it necessarily better to be running a code? I mean, I know a lot of uh, friends, sorry, not to disparage a group in particular, but I know a whole bunch of people who are Christians, uh, but their code of Christianity doesn't really seem to be helping them very much. It helps them avoid thinking about certain things, but it doesn't necessarily help them uh, develop, for instance, virtues or refine themselves as human beings. So, uh, yeah, what's the difference between a functional code, a living code, and uh, a, a dead code, a code that becomes uh, a way of justifying uh, a lack of growth? Uh, yeah, so anyway, that, that's how I wanted to open up. But, uh, uh, Kurt, uh, you wanted to talk about uh, uh, principles. So uh, maybe we can start with the idea of a principle, a principle being perhaps the smallest functional part of uh, all three of these things that we're talking about. Hmm. What is a principle? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the thing is, when you guys uh, told me that we're, we're going to talk about codes, I thought, well, I don't, I don't really have a, a code exactly. Like, like man's got to have a code. Sorry? <laughs> sorry, I just said a man's got to have a code. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. So I guess, I guess I better find one. I'll buy one at a $2 store. <laughs> Uh, but it like I, I, I do have uh, cer certain principles and thing things that I value. Um, but I, I feel like if you if you say a code, it's it it sounds like it should be um, well codified. It sounds like like it should be um, maybe not written down, but it sounds like it should it should be um, very clear as as what that is. Um, but in what what you're saying there is is uh kind of contrary to that because because you're saying just because it's written down doesn't mean it actually it's actually the real thing um the the real thing is 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 more abstract in, in your in your thoughts and in your actions um but uh yeah it's in terms of uh principles um mm, well, uh, I mean, there's a, there's one which is uh, one simple idea which is which is important to me, um, which is called the the non-aggression principle, meaning that it's uh, it, it's not reasonable to normally um, it's not reasonable to initiate violence against uh, peaceful people. So if if someone hasn't done anything violent ag against another person, uh, then you you probably shouldn't. Um, punch them or um, kidnap them, put them in a cage or or put a gun to the head, anything like that. Um, 
And um, um, yeah, the I mean the other the other idea which is related is is a value which which I would say is uh, is is a bit more abstract than than a principle um, because it's it's like a it's like a priority. So to to have to have a value. Uh, can help you decide your principles. Um, so, if you value, mm, let's see. Uh, yes, well, for for me, I I value my freedom uh, very highly, and I, I I value being able to do what I want to do. Um, but as a as as a counter. Um, yeah, as the, as as the counterpoint to that, um, as they say, with freedom comes responsibility. So, um, you you might have the freedom to do a lot of stupid things, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should do them. So, um, each each individual has to govern himself uh, to some extent. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about uh, nonviolence and non-aggression uh, recently. Mm. And uh, it's interesting because uh, I've I've been a kind of violent person in the past, uh, m- mainly in terms of uh, protecting other people. Uh, but uh, I, I realise that uh, I don't I don't get angry really on my own behalf, for instance. But for some reason, I'll get angry on behalf of uh, abstract notions. So I'll, hmm. I'll get angry on behalf of reason, or I'll get angry on behalf of uh, freedom. And hmm. uh, when I get angry on behalf of reason, then I become very, very violent, but not physically. I become very verbally violent. Right. And uh, not, not verbally violent in the way that somebody who's untrained is violent, but more along the lines of a kind of uh, soft violence, uh, mm. whereby I'm very calm and rational, and uh, but what I say is designed to change another person in a way that they don't, at that time, want to be changed. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it, it's, it's interesting, this, this principle of non-violence, and um, you know, uh, when I, when I want to justify it, I, I justify it in, that it's kind of like... Uh, uh, surgery or emergency medicine, whereby you might have to cut into somebody's body, or you might have to cause some pain or do some damage on some level, but hopefully on a deeper, more important, more uh, intrinsic level, it's actually doing them good. Uh, yes. But I don't, I don't have consent for this process. I mean, there's an implied consent in in the process of conversation and communication. Uh, but the person really doesn't want me to be doing to them what I'm doing to them when I speak in this way. Uh, mm. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting. Uh, and I guess in, in that way, there, there's a framework that sits uh, inside of uh, my way of dealing with this with this code and with this value. Uh, yeah, which again makes it very, uh, very vague. Uh, mm. the, the more you try and pin down these things, the less clear it becomes, and uh, so often it becomes a kind of case-by-case case, uh, scenario. Hmm. Well, um, that's that's interesting. So, uh, one one thing which I've I've started to try to develop in myself, like like I think I, I have that uh, that same habit of of trying to uh, force people um, using reason or cha- change them against their will. Um, but of course, it's most of the time it's not very effective. Uh, but um, the, the um, that's that's uh, kind of this very masculine thing, and the, there's there's also this this feminine um, way of of persuading people. So um, there's there's this old parable about um, the, um, the the cow that's in the stable, and the the the, the people on the farm want to get the cow to, to come out of the stable so they can clean it. Uh, and the farm hands and the uh, and the boss, the, the the man of the farm, is like standing there trying to push the cow for hours and hours until the 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 cook comes out and she just 
she puts her big fat finger in in the mouth of the cow and just just leads it out, and that's the this this difference like it's it's a difference between a a push and a pull and a masculine and a feminine, and uh, softly leading people rather than trying to trying to jam people where you, where you want them to go. And I think in a lot of cases, it tends to be more effective. Oh, for sure. That analogy is really interesting as well because, you know, there's this there's this cow and, I mean, you know, while they're trying to push it in the direction they want it to go, it's, it is acting like it doesn't want to go in that direction. But then if led well, like... Uh, it just makes me think of whether or not that cow knows what it wants or which direction it wants to go in or what's best for it or, you know, <clears throat> all these ideas. So, I mean, often it seems like I get the most frustrated when I'm trying to encourage somebody or, or help them see, you know, a way of looking at things that will will help them, like help alleviate some of their suffering or help them, you know, get what I think might be good things for them. Um, and... And it's just that interesting thing of like sometimes they absolutely don't want to move in the direction that I'm suggesting they should go in. Um, but in other times, it's just the way in which I suggest it. Like they might want to go in that direction, but if I frame it in a certain way, it just seems too hard or it seems contrary to what they believe or, it, you know, whatever. There's some some reason why they resist it massively. And then I could phrase it another way that they would really they were moving that direction and, and really easily. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's that really funny thing of, um, yeah, figuring out what separating my, my desires from, from actually helping them. And then also like trying to be objective about, I mean, anyway, so this, this is a big can of worms, but I think it also opens up this idea of, of that people, uh, if they do what they they want to do a lot, then it it often leads them astray. You know, like in terms of indulging in eating or indulging in various sort of things. But um, so yeah, just before you guys are talking about freedom and 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 these kinds of ideas, um, it does make me think a lot about this idea that people don't I don't think really understand themselves very well or are, are honest with themselves very well to. Um, to to yeah to be able to look at these things clearly uh, it, yeah so it, it made me think of two things uh, the first thing is uh, this quote from the Tao Ching uh, excuse my pronunciation uh, but yeah it's talking about masculine and feminine it says that uh, the feminine always overcomes the masculine and so uh, you should know the masculine but then stick to the feminine and I think that's a beautiful way to look at communication and uh, uh, look at a way of dealing with other people. Uh, and the other thing was uh, in, in terms of uh, mutuality. So uh, at, at training, for instance, uh, everybody at training ostensibly is there to improve their technique. And so because we have this shared goal in mind, uh, it's much easier to uh, give people uh, information that will help them change and help them grow because the, the direction that in which they want to grow is defined. Uh, but when that direction is not so clearly defined, then uh, it becomes a far more difficult and maybe even pointless to try and help someone develop in a way which they're not interested in developing. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so I guess in terms of uh, ways of life, uh, it, it becomes important that the people that you're interacting with uh, share at least an overlap in, in their way of life uh, uh, and uh, your way of life. Mm. Uh, otherwise, uh, they're just going to translate whatever you say and whatever you do uh, into uh, uh, something that's nonsensical. Mm. Uh, it reminds me of this uh, uh, a quote from uh, famous uh, Zen anthology. Uh, they say that if you meet a swordsman on the road, then show them your sword. Uh, but if you meet someone who's not a poet, don't show them your poem. <laughs> Reminds you of that Thus Spoke Zarathustra thing. Um, I mean, I've, I've only listened to the audiobook, but yeah, the, the gist I got was that idea of, 
yeah, all these all these great ideas. You really like there are people who actually want to hear them, and you should probably communicate with them rather than <laughs> just smash your head against the Facebook wall or um, or just go into you know <laughs> go talk to your family or other people who really don't want to hear <laughs> your latest revelation. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think Nietzsche was very cynical about uh, humanity and, and, you know, uh, probably rightly so, given the era in which he lived. Uh, there was really this massive divide between, uh, you know, the herd and, and the, uh, the the Superman or whatever, the, uh, the actualizing uh, human being. Uh, but I like to think that these days, there's less of a gap between the potentiality of the uh, the everyday person and the potentiality of a highly refined person, but that's probably just silly. Uh, that's probably just overemphasizing uh, information mm. because these days everybody or well, so many people have access to so much information, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll uh, avail themselves of the practical application of that information. Mm. Which I guess is the difference between a refined person and a person lacking refinement, and that's actually makes it more difficult because because they people speak with this language that will should suggest a refinement or suggest that they're exploring themselves and ideas, but really they're just wearing it like fashion, and or or for some other reason, and um, yeah. It's 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 frustrating <laughs> when you want to explore real shit, but then you find out uh, there's a, there's very much a limit. I mean, I know I have my own limits, so but you know, <laughs> some people have very are very limited when they pretend not to be. Right. So you're you're talking about like pe- people who who wear the trappings of spirituality, but but they don't really want to get into spirituality, that yeah. sort of thing. Well, for me, like, this might seem a bit, a bit whatever, I'll just say it. Um, like, when I first <laughs> read, read and understood the concept of the Buddha and enlightenment and that state and how, like, the, the noble truths that this world is suffering and all these sorts of things, from that point on... I saw my most of my regular life, anything that wasn't sort of heading in that direction of awareness and spirituality, as a little bit silly. Like, like I already, mm. like if I understand this truth, then I, I can see that you know this this ego stuff is quite a lot of the times bullshit. Um, but but I've realised that that it seems like a lot of people don't have that reaction to reading the, or finding out about these truths, like. Uh, it seems more like no. I should speak from my own experience. I mean, when when I first got into spirituality and stuff like that, I I just ate it all up, and I really liked the stuff that made me feel better about myself and made me forgive myself and let myself off with a lot of shit. And so it took time for me to really step up um, the honesty with myself and the discipline and and you know accepting that you know a lot of the ways I think. Are, bullshit and selfish and you know that yeah a lot of a lot of that stuff is is there and and accepting that but i don't know it just seems like (laughs) um people people don't really want to understand the deepest truths of the things they they just want to kind of um fantasize i guess and play which which again is cool but like yeah, it, it's just surprising to me that, that that people don't want to go to the the deeper place of it all. I guess that that's the that's the bell curve. That's the common demographic. Like uh, I don't know, it's funny. Uh, I'm so naive in so many ways. Uh, every time I explore a different uh, facet of the world, I'm surprised that people don't hold to the the principles of the the framework in in which they exist uh you know if uh you uh meet a group of people who are generally hermits you'd expect because they're hermits that they would behave in a certain way and you would have this massive skew towards one end of the bell curve but in fact uh, hermits sit along the same bell curve as every other group Mm. and so like uh science uh modern science is the 
the religion of our day, the religion of the West right now, and uh, so many people who uh, consider themselves uh, scientists, I guess, or scientific in their way of life, they're not scientific at all. And as soon as you want to discuss with them some of the uh, the strange paradoxes of science, you know, like people when they find out someone's a Christian or something, often they have a whole bunch of paradoxes or issues with uh, belief and faith and uh, that way of life, which they love to run these believers through the gauntlet uh, and uh, show them how undeveloped their thinking is with regard to their own path. Mm. Uh, but if you do that with a scientist, uh, or a pseudo-scientist perhaps is a more accurate way of describing it, uh, they, they react in much the same way, whereas yes. the actual principle of their belief is to react uh, differently than uh, somebody of faith. Yes, yes. Well, I've had, that. I've had that that many times when you say, "Well, come on, um, let's look at the evidence here," and it might might be some um, some some claim which seems a little outlandish, like something like homeopathy. And I don't necessarily believe in homeopathy, but I say, "Well, let's look at the evidence," and they're like, "No." You're just a fanatic, <laughs> and I'm like, no, let's <laughs> let's uh, let's have a look here. And but oh. that, that, that's really interesting because, like, um, I'm I'm just as guilty as, <laughs> as most people in terms of the fact that I have hmm. ideas of principles and things that I I want to live by, but I don't. My my reactions to things still come from a very egotistical place. A lot of them are quite selfish, and so they don't. My actions and my my reactions don't uh, often don't line up with with my principles. Um, and I know that like that's <laughs> that's a li- it's somewhat out of my control. Like I can't just flick a switch and 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 change all my hab- habitual rea- reactions overnight. Um, but yeah, the the principles I th- I see them as yeah these things that I'm aiming at and these and, and like a, a a way of cross referencing what I'm doing in my actions to see if I'm if I'm yeah I'm achieving that or, or getting close to it. But um, but yeah, because when I think about principles and stuff, like I didn't have I don't remember really having any principles when I was younger at all. Like I I and I didn't like I, I don't know if I. I think I liked samurai stuff or ninja stuff, but I didn't. I didn't really like. I had a, a bias against refinement or ideas of of being refined, because I sort of came from a, a lower income, sort of uh, drug addled family. So um, what I what I kind of related to was more like creativity and weirdness, and and not being i guess so much in the in the mainstream of culture but then when i look at my my values and what i what i wanted for my life and stuff they still very much were were to satisfy cultural things even though like i i i, I considered myself countercultural in terms of from a very early age i knew that most of the stuff that people were interested in i didn't like so much and i thought i thought a lot of it was bullshit especially like uh, TV stuff and film stuff. When I still looked at what my motivations were, there was still to become a successful actor so that I could be famous and and have lots of money, and then people would love me. You know, so like, um, it, and over time, I've explored more uh, philo- philosophical systems and and developed more principles and these things like you know not harming people, or I've gone through phases of thinking about becoming vegetarian or just these other different choices, these ethical choices that I've made. Um, but but yeah, like it's been a it's been a, yeah it's it's changed over time and like it seems to more and more be. Like there was, a, I guess, a period like five years ago where I was really countercultural and really much more into conspiracy theories and anything that basically said what people normally think is wrong. I loved that shit, and so I just went straight for it. Um, and then over the last couple of years, I've been kind of, I guess, swaying the pendulum back a bit and sort of trying to figure out what parts of of culture and you know the structure of things is useful or or whatever. So, yeah. Thank <laughs> you.
Press like on YouTube. Press like on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, and Pocket Casts. Follow us on Twitter at BattleAZ at Trouble Bubble. And show your support at donate.theparadiseparadox.com. When I was young, I, I had this idea of, uh, of rebellion. And, uh, you know, I read a lot of philosophy when I was a, a kid, and I, I really liked the idea of, like, existentialism and uh, Camus' idea that in order to be free, you really have to be a rebel on some level. And uh, so I, I took my rebellion very much to heart. And uh, growing up in the 90s, uh, there was this strong push, even inside of the what became mainstream uh, media culture, to not care what other people thought and to, you know, develop yourself in your own uh, arts, your own music, your own uh, clothing and, and uh, be, you know, create this kind of uh, autonomous freedom. Uh, but uh, in, uh, when I started studying Oriental Medicine, uh, we learnt about the flow of energy and uh, uh, there's this idea of rebellious energy. Uh, energies that not that's not flowing correctly in the body and uh, my lecturer asked uh, if the energy is normally going down and it's rebellious energy uh, which way will it be going and uh, he asked me and my answer was uh, who knows it could be going in any direction uh, that was my idea of rebellion and he said no it's rebellious so it just goes in the opposite direction if the energy is normally going down, then if it's rebellious, it's going up. And, uh, oh yeah, uh, often this is the way rebellion works. You, you see what direction something is going and then you go in the opposite direction. But that's not freedom. That, if anything, it, it more closely defines the thing that you're rebelling against. Mm. Yeah, it's like how they say uh, Satanists are, are actually just Christians, they or I guess Luciferianists would be the more accurate term. Um, but what what you were saying, Link, about uh, about exa examining your actions and, and uh, seeing if they're in line with uh, with what you want them to be, um, mm. it made me think of this this idea um, that uh, I guess I've read in uh, from Alistair. Crowley, um, which um, it's it's uh, like a magical principle um, that if you want to become, uh, if you want to um, summon a, cer a certain spirit or invoke a certain spirit, you have to bring your life um, in into alignment with that spirit. Um, and I, I also ap apply this more generally, like like if if someone wants to learn German then what they have to do is surround themselves with things that are german um surround the, surround themselves with the with the language um learn it and and uh listen to it and read it um so they can become well not become german but absorb the language um but um crowley um mentions that this idea like um you can uh, attempt to to become so in in uh, in alignment with uh, with an idea or, or a spirit um, that every thought begins and ends with that thing. Um, so you're basically obsessed and you, and you never stop thinking about that thing. Um, so so you're trying to put put your life completely in 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 the place of this thing or in the in, in alignment with this thing um but uh i don't know if if uh something like that would be desirable if you're trying to develop a principle or maybe um maybe it, it would be in the short term or similarly uh benjamin franklin had this system where he would have 13 virtues that he would want to develop mm. and so so every quarter of the year he spent one week Trying to develop this this virtue within himself, um, to yes, to become a more rounded person. Yeah, well, with that, what you're saying before about um, 
about yeah creating a spirit or having a spirit that you you have at the start and the end of everything it seems like yes i know i've experienced that when i've been um in love with somebody um mm-hmm. and everything that i do no matter how i'm related to them it's still i still am thinking about it in relation to them and and how i will communicate with them so i can understand that and also but i mean in terms of developing principles and stuff i th- i imagine it would be quite useful in certain situations like you could, that thing could just be you know your teacher or the universe or love or you know some kind of um ins- inspirational maybe you could say ideal or or uh what do you call it uh idol <laughs> hopefully not false <laughs> um that yeah that will always point you back in that direction like i know for me whenever i'm doing things if i just uh th- think of my teacher hopefully hopefully beforehand but even during like say when i'm treating a client I'll be I'll be giving them the treatment and I might be thinking about other things or or whatever or getting a bit frustrated with the fact that I have to do this thing or them or whatever it is and then if I can remember my teacher and sort of remember that if you know that I can be excellent or that I can approach this thing even though I'm tired or I don't, don't want to do it or whatever I can use that as another challenge to to be even more excellent and and to be more present and aware you know so mm-hmm. um it seems pretty useful in that sense one of my teachers uh gave me this analogy uh he said that uh development is like a bullet and uh if you want the bullet to go to go far and to go straight you need a long barrel so you have this explosive force but without a long barrel to guide the initial velocity of the bullet, uh, it won't go straight and it won't go very far. The, the gases that push the bullet out need something to push it through uh, to create uh, velocity and, and trajectory. And so, uh, yeah, I think this is one of the things that is missing uh, in uh, a lot of Western culture, uh, we have uh, great uh, notions and great intentions, but we have nothing to to guide that original creative explosive energy uh, because we we're really skeptical and and really dismissive of the idea of a, a teacher or a model or a guide or something. You know, uh, if, if you look at uh, contemporary art. So much of it is about trying to find some uh, what what seems like originality, but in actual fact, it's it often becomes just a search for some kind of gimmick uh, to attach your name and your artistic image to. Uh, whereas, uh, if you look at the the innovators of the past in, in art, uh, they were always reacting against some previous. Uh, model or some previous genius. Uh, they, they were taking uh, impetus and motivation uh, from, uh, from classical sources, from, from recent examples of uh, brilliance, and, and using them to create this, this trajectory and this momentum. Um, it wasn't this total tearing away of the past. Uh, I remember I, I met a writer uh, when I was studying literature. And he wanted to write a book that was nothing like any other book that had ever been written. Mm. And uh, when he told me this, uh, I was really rude back then. But I laughed. And I told him that it was A, a ridiculous aim, and B, even if he succeeded in, in creating this this tome, uh, it wouldn't have any functional value because uh, it it wouldn't have a basis in, in shared uh, experience uh, of uh, verbal reality, uh, you know, you could create a book like this uh, out of uh, a combination of, of random elements and, and uh, destroyed syntax. But uh, what would the point be? I mean, if you look at William Burroughs, he had this idea of uh, cutting up, um, creating text, and then cutting up and mashing parts of it together uh, to create these kind of uh, sparks. 
and Allen Ginsberg had a similar idea of, of uh, putting words together which he couldn't find a rational association with. Uh, but someone reading it with the habit of creating rational associations with words would then have this kind of mental explosion uh, because they were, they were naturally sandwiching together two things that uh, wouldn't normally make a sandwich. Uh, but still, uh, these things referred to uh, images of uh, um, that that would function in a more classical version of literature or poetry. Uh, it, it wasn't a sort of uh, total abandonment of uh, previous models or previous functionality or previous qualities. Uh, if anything, the qualities of previous movements were held uh, very sacredly by these uh, so-called uh, rebellious artists. Yeah, well, and that's an interesting idea, like the desire to be original, you know, like it, it, it seems to be so important to a lot of artists. Um, and what I find with a lot of really excellent artists who make, you know, great music over time, blah, 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 it seems like a lot of them, um, they, they might start out try, having that aim and trying to be experimental, trying to push boundaries, trying to fuck with people, that kind of thing. And then as their careers progress, they often um, seem to, f to get a bit more traditional or, or pay a bit more respect to the genre or the form. And, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I was listening to an interview with uh, the guy from Unknown Mortal Orchestra, and he suggested something on those lines. And if you listen to Multilove, you know, like that, if you're not listening very in intently, like, it, it sounds pretty poppy and, you know, you could be fooled with thinking that it, there's not much that much going on there but if you actually listen to it it's like it's really good music but it it's not it, it's not trying to sound you new and unique it's just it's unique because he's a he's an artist and he's making it you know i think i think you mentioned something about that at, at one point in terms of not trying to be original jeremy um but yeah like what why why do we feel this need to be so original like why is that important um, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely it. Yeah. I, I find that, that, uh, it, it seems like people of, of all disciplines, um, commonly have, have this idea, um, that, um, having a teacher is wrong. Um, and it's, it, it's strange how, how common it is. Sorry, how common it is. Um, like uh, even when when I was playing cards a lot, when I was playing whole, uh, poker, um, uh, I would meet uh, people and they they would say, "Oh, I never read books about poker. That's just that's that's not the right way to learn poker or something like that." Uh, and I would observe the um, the the actions and the mentality of, of these people, and and uh, I would see that they would make these these mistakes that were so fundamental and they really had no idea that they were that they were making a, a mathematical mistake in in a, in a certain situation um uh just uh, making a mistake that was that was so wrong but so obvious uh to anyone who had a, an understanding of the mathematics to basically anyone who would who had read a book about poker um so um yeah and People will, people will say like, oh, you know, the greats didn't have a teacher, um, like Michelangelo didn't have a teacher. But actually, if you go back and, and you look at the, the great masters, you see generally, consistently, that almost every one of them did have a teacher. Um, almost, almost every one of them learned from the, the great people of that era uh, and then took it a step further. And that's why they're great. Uh, like standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, this this brings up this really interesting thing that there's a massive difference between the East and the West. Uh, I think we've spoken about this a little bit before, but there's a quote by Oscar Wilde that uh, those who can't do teach. Mm. And uh, in the West, uh, because I think of capitalism, uh, there's this idea that if you're really good at what you do, then you'll be doing it. You won't be teaching someone else how to do it. Hmm. So the, the people who are um, really doing well, they're not teachers. They're professionals. And the, the teachers 
the class of the group of teachers tend to be made up of people who aren't doing well enough to be successful in their vocation, so they have to teach in order to survive. Uh, whereas in the East, uh, the people who are excellent uh, are teachers. That that's the progression. You go from beginner to intermediate to advanced uh, student, and then you become a teacher, and you become a beginner teacher, an intermediate teacher, and an advanced teacher. But the progression is clear, and in fact, in a lot of Eastern traditions, you have to teach, and and most teachers who are excellent teachers uh, are teachers uh, begrudgingly, but in the opposite way that teachers are begrudging in the West. Hmm. So uh, I think that forms a, a lot of the skepticism and the, the denial of the importance of a teacher is because most people who we call teachers in the West are not really teachers. They're just failures. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, for, for me, I, when, one trend that I find is that, um, and, it's, and it's something that I value as well, um, is that if, if someone is excellent at someone uh, at something, then they're, they're almost always willing to teach it because they're like, I put in all this hard work and it was hard, it, it was, uh, it was a, a struggle. Um, so if you come to me humbly and say, I want to learn this, then, then I will jump at the opportunity. If, if I think someone is, is genuine, uh, in their in their intention to learn, um, because um, they're um, let's see they're they're saying well I I want to I want to know this um, and the the teacher or the, the 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 person who's who's gone through all this uh, wants to to give someone their knowledge because they want the, they they want someone to um, to. Uh, well, not get the shortcut, but they but they want someone to progress rapidly, so they don't have to go through all of these uh, complex array of of errors, which are necessary for them. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, it it reminds me of a, an opposite example of this hmm. uh, behavior. Hmm. Uh, I, I had a lover who was a, a psychopath, and uh, she was really interesting. Uh, she's also an artist, and. Uh, uh, yeah, we uh, um, we often sort of made uh, art side by side, and uh, she had this beautiful way of using uh, pencil. Uh, she created this amazing velvety uh, um, gradation between darks and lights. Mm. And when I saw it, I really liked it, and I asked her how she did it, and she wouldn't tell me. <laughs> and. Uh, Yep. I was so surprised because uh, here was this thing, this thing that she developed, and uh, it was beautiful. So if she showed me how to do it, I could have used it. I mean, I wouldn't have used it like her in, in isolation of, of other technique, mm. uh, but it, it would have helped make more art. Mm. Uh, but she wanted to keep this thing that she developed for herself, uh, for uh, its... Uh, I don't know what you call it. Its value, add, uh, its unique value. I guess she felt that if if other people had this technique, then that would devalue her art, um, mm. which is such a strange idea. But it, it's so common. Uh, again, uh, in, in the West, people don't want to share uh, what they know and what they can do because. They identify with it as part of yes. themselves, and they want to keep that. Yes, it's, it's uh, this uh, scarcity mentality. Um, and I, actually, I've been thinking about that a bit recently because, um, like, like I, I do a, a lot of writing and, and publish it somewhere, and you know, if it doesn't get a, attention or whatever, then then maybe I, I might feel like like I'm a failure, or especially if it's something that I put a lot of uh, a lot of work into. But then I, I I say to myself, uh, this is this is the the way I normally phrase it. Um, I'm drinking from a spring that never runs dry, uh, and that that spring is is creativity, and that spring is also uh, God, for lack of a better term. So it's something inside of us that that uh, can always come up with new ideas, 
and, and, and new techniques. And that's available to everyone. But if you sit around and you're like grabbing onto um, what you have, like uh, like this sort of golem, like uh, my precious, the, this kind of thing, you're never going to be able to realize that actually you um, you you have uh, accessibility to this this great wide range of of information and and knowledge and and creativity. That's not the end of our conversation, but it's the end of the first part. It was a very, it was a two and a half hour long conversation, so you can check out the rest of it over the coming weeks. Um, and uh, there's another, yeah, another two parts to go. Thanks so much for listening. Um, your amazing energy and, and uh, attention and the, the insight that you uh, provide to us through your comments on the on the side on the on the YouTube video um, mean a lot to us. Um, remember, you can jump onto Steemit. That's Steemit with two e's. dot com slash at paradise dash paradox. Uh, and if you follow us and upvote us, show your support. That helps us out a lot. We really appreciate it. Helps us earn, earn a, a few more dollars uh, to keep this keep this show rolling. And also, uh, you can jump onto donate. dot paradox. dot com uh, to show your support in direct monetary fashion send us a send us a few dollars uh we appreciate that very much by by paypal or bitcoin or altcoins whatever you like uh take your choice pick pick your options and and uh send us a little bit um because we we do appreciate um when when you give to us we appreciate all of the the tips that are coming in there and it helps us uh keep going with this project as we know that someone out there is uh is enjoying what we're beaming out to the universe. So much appreciated again, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay tuned for more interesting conversations with with crazy characters like Link and and Jay. That's it. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) 